The Lakers are better, the Jazz are worse, and we finally heard from the Phoenix Suns' new owner. Lots to talk about on today's episode of Locked On Suns. Let's go. You are Locked On Suns, your daily Phoenix Suns podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. We are back. This is Locked On Phoenix Suns. We are part of the Locked On Podcast Network, and I'm your host, Brendan Clean, a credentialed media member covering the Suns for the past six seasons and a writer at Suns.com and Dime Magazine. Thank you all for making Locked On Suns your first listen here on this Thursday, trade deadline day. By the time you hear this, trade deadline might only be a few hours away. Maybe some of the things I say today will be a little bit outdated. We're getting the latest on the Suns trade deadline. We're talking about the big trade of this Wednesday as well as the big press conference of this Wednesday. So again, thanks for making this show your first listen to get you started here today. Hit subscribe, hit follow. We're on all podcast platforms, including YouTube. Make sure you get this show in your feed every single day by hitting that button down below. You can also drop me a comment in the YouTube comment section about anything trade deadline related. The Lakers, big big deal. What you think might happen with the Suns. What you thought of Matt Ishbia. We'll talk about it all today. Today's show, guys, is brought to you by FanDuel, the FanDuel Sportsbook, the official sportsbook of Locked On. Make every moment more and visit FanDuel.com slash Locked On today to get started. Let's start with the Lakers deal. So, D'Angelo Russell. Yes, D'Angelo Russell, the guy who we thought the Suns might pursue back in 2019, the guy who we thought they might pursue in this next 24 hours, returns back home his rightful home in Los Angeles at Crypto.com Arena. And they also got Malik Beasley and Jared Vanderbilt. So this was a three-team trade. Obviously, those three players come from different teams. The other two teams being Minnesota and Utah. The Wolves got Mike Conley. The Jazz get Russell Westbrook, who we all assume will probably be bought out by the time you're listening to this. And maybe headed to the Clippers, which we can get into potentially uh, as the season goes along, depending on how effective and impactful he actually ends up being over there. But Lakers end up only getting rid of a one of their picks, which is what a lot of people had started to say. Brian Windhorst, Zach Lowe, smart people in the know were, were basically saying it was unlikely after the Kyrie deal didn't go through for them that they were going to trade both 27 and 29 for anybody, basically, unless something really, really great came up, which was unlikely, and obviously they didn't see that out there, and they do this instead. So they keep their super far into the future pick in 2029, and this one is top four protected. So it it went from, are the Lakers going to have to trade two unprotected first-round picks for somebody like Kyrie, which they offered uh, reportedly, or if you remember back even longer ago, there was this idea that they were going to trade both of those picks unprotected for Miles Turner and Buddy Heald. And so things have changed, okay? This is a ridiculous coup for the Lakers, okay? And that might surprise you to hear that I think so strongly in that direction. But the reason I do isn't because I think this trade's going to get them over the hump to win the, the championship, all right? I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going there. But if you take a step back and you say, okay, they're not getting a superstar because I'm not sure a bonafide superstar is getting traded at this deadline unless you count Kyrie, which they obviously pursued and there were reasons for and against that. If they're not getting somebody 
better than Kyrie or even at his level, then what are they going to get, right? And so you start to look at a deal like this. And I compared it on Twitter right away to the 2018 trade deadline where the Cavs, back when LeBron in his last season there, uh, they got Rodney Hood, George Hill, Jordan Clarkson, and Larry Nance. A lot of those guys have gone on to become pretty good players. They didn't really do much. They didn't change the Cavs' fortunes much, and obviously LeBron left. I don't know if LeBron's leaving in this case, but the the tone of a, of a move like that is pretty similar right now to what we just saw today. The main difference being, one, I think the players are a little better. I think they fit a little better, which I'll talk about in a second. Two, the... <laughs> The other main difference is that this was a steal. I don't even remember what the Cavs had to give up in those trades, but the Lakers one pick and Russell Westbrook's salary to get three coveted role players. I mean, like, you can take or leave. Maybe you don't think D'Angelo Russell or Jared Vanderbilt or Malik Beasley are really going to do anything. Maybe you don't think that they matter. But the bottom line is, it doesn't really matter what you or I think because those three players were, they had a market, you know? And Danny Ainge, who I also had a, a laugh at in the instant aftermath of this trade because everybody thinks he's this wheeler and dealer genius, he's been making it known around the NBA, if you listen to or read any of the, the, the scuttlebutt out there, that he wanted a first-round pick for Beasley, Vanderbilt, and Conley. One first-round pick each for those players. Now, maybe not unprotected. You never know what any of that really means, but that was very clearly being communicated. Anybody you heard talking about this reiterated that. And obviously, it's posturing. Obviously, it's bargaining, right? Negotiating through the media. I'm not saying that he was ever going to get that, but the point is, he felt like that was a reasonable thing to put out there. He set expectations for his own fan base and for the rest of the league that that was in reach for him. And he comes away with one total first-round pick. Now, it's a decently valuable one. I'm not going to poo-poo that, but one first-round pick for all three of them combined. It's ridiculous. And the Lakers end up in this situation with a better a better group of players than that Cavs deal, that Cavs deadline in 2018 brought in for very little cost. And now they're looking at a situation where they've upgraded their rotation with four additional rotation players, all of whom I think will su supersede the other guys who had been playing for them. They get off of Damian Jones, Juan Toscano Anderson, and I think that's it in this trade. And now they're better. And that's kind of where I want to come back to the Suns here because this is a Suns podcast, as you may or may not know. I'm looking at the 2022-2023 standings right now, all right? Before the games have finished tonight, and there are quite a few of them, the Suns, after beating Brooklyn, are fifth in the West. They have a half-game lead on Dallas. Dallas is playing on Wednesday, Kyrie's debut. Um, they haven't started when I'm recording here. It's an 8 p.m. game. The Lakers are down in <laughs> 13th place, but they're only two games out of 10th. Who's in 10th? The Jazz. Who's in 9th is Minnesota. And so that's part of one of the interesting aspects of this trade to me is that all three of these teams in theory are up against one another for a play-in spot. Now, I had predicted on the Just Basketball podcast, which you can listen to anywhere, go subscribe, YouTube, 
podcasts everywhere. That's a, a new project from me. Please listen. But I was talking about the Steph Curry injury on our show on uh, Tuesday of this week, or Monday of this week, I mean. And I said, basically, I think the Jazz will fall off after the deadline because they will get rid of some of their players. And then I think the Lakers will rise. I, I, don't, I wasn't even necessarily saying that from a trade standpoint. I just think the Lakers have been actually playing pretty well lately. I know they lost to the Thunder in LeBron's big night. But um, regardless, I figured they would make a run. They had at least had one more charge up the standings in them. And that's where we are. But then there's the Minnesota aspect, and that's a little interesting. I'm not too sure. I, I, would, I would probably say from Minnesota's standpoint, you're probably looking at about scratch, right? You're probably looking at maybe Conley is a better fit. Does he really make them that much of a better team where they're going to start ripping off wins? I doubt it. I think, if anything, getting healthier is going to be the key for them. Rudy's staying on the court. Towns returning to the lineup. Some of their role players, um, they didn't really add anything in this trade. They just switched out one point guard for another. So I don't, they got Nikhil Alexander Walker, I think. Maybe he plays, but I would probably say Minnesota will be about a 500 team anyway. So. You probably have the Lakers taking that 10th spot. Maybe they make an even bigger run if they can really put it together. But either way, from a Sun standpoint, you know, it just, I think the moves that we're going to continue to see, the Lakers, if, if I don't really know if they could, if there's some sort of Patrick Beverly deal out there, I, I suppose they could have one more up their sleeve. I doubt it. But this is a much better Lakers roster. We could still see... A team like the Pelicans make a trade. We could still see a team like the Warriors make a trade. Heck, even the Trailblazers. Maybe they get better. I don't know. Maybe there will be more moves by the time you hear this, so I won't dwell on it too much. But the importance of getting home court advantage, getting into that top stratosphere of the West, is really becoming clear. All right? it's Yes, it is a wide-open conference, and so maybe you look at it and say... Any mat like you could finish third and have a really tough matchup. You could finish eighth and feel like you're in a good position. You never really know. But to me, I look at that and say, exactly like last season when the Suns won 64 games and they really didn't need to. You know, they had the one seed. They won the eight. They won the number one seed by eight games. I think they didn't need to do that. But their mission was, we want to have no doubt in our minds that we can get home court, have an advantage over our opponent, and just get the momentum, the wind in our sails heading into the playoffs. And I think the mission has to be the same because you're already seeing the bottom of the West bolster itself. And of course, the fact that it's the Lakers probably uh, puts a little bit more fear in Suns fans' brains, even though we did see this team beat the Lakers in a 2-7 matchup the year they went to the finals. But you just don't want to mess with it. You don't want to end up in the first round against LeBron James. It worked once. I don't think you want to chance it again. Anthony Davis, obviously, on that list as well. So, Lakers stock up. We'll see what comes. On to Matt Ishbia, who was introduced in a press conference on Wednesday morning. I was not able to be there. I did watch the thing in full, and then I read a couple of the interviews. He gave a one-on-one to PHNX, and I believe Bright Side of the Sun, maybe more. PHNX, go Gerald, the only one who actually... Uh, put that up already. So I'll give you my thoughts on what he said, what his vibe was, and what his mentality is going to be leading this team, including what he said about Isaiah Thomas and the level of energy, which everybody seemed to be very intrigued by. We'll get into all of that in a second. First, today's show, guys, brought to you once again by the FanDuel Sportsbook, the new sports betting partner 
of the Locked On Podcast Network, and we're thrilled to have them. This year, the only app you need at your Super Bowl party is FanDuel, America's number one sports book. We, again, are thrilled to have them as our partner. And if you're new to FanDuel, if you're hearing about them for the first time or diving in for the first time with us, great. They have a ton of features you're going to love. Download the FanDuel app now so you can bet Super Bowl 57 this weekend with a no-sweat first bet. You'll get up to $3,000 back in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't cash. FanDuel lets you bet on everything, from the money line to point spreads to who will score a touchdown. Of course, those are some of the most fun Super Bowl props. Let me see. Coin toss result. Will the first play from scrimmage result in a first down? That one's kind of interesting. I feel like if the Chiefs get the ball, I feel good about that. If it's the Eagles, they're probably just going to run for eight yards because that's what they do. Quarterback to throw a touchdown pass first. Kind of like Mahomes there, but again, that's about who gets the ball. You never know. I don't know who the home team is, actually. I probably should look that up before I make any bets over at FanDuel. The FanDuel Sportsbook app is safe, secure, and super easy to use. And best of all, you get your winnings instantly. So join FanDuel today at FanDuel.com slash locked on to claim your no-sweat first bet on Super Bowl 57. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on. Make every moment more with FanDuel, the official sportsbook partner of the NFL. Alrighty, so... Let's talk Matt Ishbia. Again, it feels like what I want to say off the top in terms of the level of energy we saw and some of that side of things, um, it seems like being in the building was a different experience, I will say, than uh, watching on Twitter Live, which I thought Periscope and Twitter Live were dead like five years ago. I don't know. That's what I watched it on. And the energy definitely came through, but... If you have followed sports long enough, you will probably know exactly what I mean when I say this, but there is nothing, nothing. And I do think I have a little bit of perspective having been in these press conference rooms in the past and talked to my fair share of experienced sports writers in my life. There is nothing they like more than when you make them feel wanted and feel good. And this is not even, I shouldn't even say sports writers, the media, the, you know, the congressman who calls every, you know, Capitol Hill reporter by their first name and, you know, says please and thank you to everybody and and says good morning when they walk up first thing. And, you know, the head coach who, like, uh, this happened a lot with Mike McDaniel this year, where, like he took a selfie with the media and he was just a nice jovial silly guy and man do you see that first thing when if the first thing out of a of a sports reporter's mouth when a new when a move is made is he really was like this is the winning the press conference thing right that's another way to say what i'm saying but it's not even winning the press conference in terms of looking good cuz i think sometimes with that Winning the press conference, that can mean like he just g- gave the right answers and the community's really like the fan base is going to be smitten with him. No, what I'm talking about is actual sports writers. And when you have these guys who, uh, who was it recently who made a specific point? Uh, Omonte Asenfort, this, that was a perfect example of what I'm talking about. The new Cardinals GM, which I also watched his press conference. He made a point of clarifying what everybody's name was. He would say, thank you. He would say, good to meet you. And then you read their tweets. You read their articles. Monty was such a down-to-earth guy. Just so 
so dedicated to just, you know, starting things on the right foot. It doesn't matter what he does to the media. Let me tell you right now. Robert Sarver, in my direct interactions with Robert Sarver, he would wave to me. I remember him walking a couple of us around the practice facility when they did a groundbreaking media event during COVID for the new facility. He was showing everybody what it was all going to look like. I didn't, if I only base my judgment of Robert Sarver off of how he directly acted when I had my eyes on him or spoke to him, man, would I have some good things to say. It doesn't matter at all what he says to the media. And this is not me saying he won't be good at his job. I just think it's a little bit frustrating to hear and read responses from these journalists who are covering this stuff that are so centered on the vibe that they got from him, the energy that they saw, the great responses, the name checks and the thank yous. And it doesn't matter. It has no bearing on how he will be as an owner. It has no bearing on whether he's good for the job or any of it. It doesn't have anything to do with anything. I just want to say that. The energy side does, I think, actually matter in some ways, though. If nothing else, and I do think this is part of what colored the response we saw, right? It is a stark contrast to Sarver. And I do think there's something to be said, because Sarver, for all of the warts and disgustingness that came out over time during the investigation and you know, behind the scenes for years. A lot of what I think everyday Suns fans who maybe don't even care that much or know that much about the investigation necessarily or the specifics of what Sarver was accused of, but just think he's pretty, a, a kind of a schmuck and a pretty bad owner. Their main thing, their main problem, most sports fans' problems with their owner is apathy, right? They don't do enough. They don't get the job done. They don't go out and make trades. They won't pay the luxury tax. They avoid this. They avoid that. The arena sucks. It's this, it's that, it's the problem, right? I think seeing Ishbia come out and own that stage and, and sort of demonstrate a level of energy that matches the words that he's been giving in quotes and interviews and different things since he was made the bid and kind of became the guy who we knew was going to be the owner we got to see it today. And I do think there's something to be said for somebody who comes out, speaks, you know, talks the talk to that degree and, and really puts their commitment out there. I mean, that matters, right? Because Sarver was this guy behind the scenes all the time. He was, you know, a, curm a curmudgeon to a lot of degrees. He wasn't well-liked. He knew it. The level, I mean, I've talked about this before on the show. You've probably heard it before. The level of paranoia is the most noticeable part from a journalist perspective that I have being around this team, the most notable way that you can see the Sarver culture seeping into every little cranny of this franchise, there was just such an, a hesitancy to put anybody out there to the media to participate and play ball with anything going on. It was just distrust and paranoia is the best word I can use. And rightly so, because they probably knew they were, they were, doing the wrong thing there and they wanted to hide it. I mean, I don't necessarily, I guess if you're a, if you're a bad dude, you're probably going to hide that. Right. But like the difference between that, the contrast between that and what we saw from Ishbia, I think that does matter. What it says to us is that he, and he, he said this a lot in the press conference, right? He said that he was going to be transparent. We'll bring that'll bring us to the next thing we're about to talk about. 
in terms of culture and his hires, but he he talked about he's going to be transparent and he, you know, was willing to go on the record with a great deal of like energy and legitimacy behind him. I'm, you know, he said money follows success. So when he was asked about the luxury tax, he made clear that that wasn't going to be a problem. He told Gerald Bourget that it was a G League team is something he thinks he would like to do. You know, he talked about wanting to bring some of the legends back in this franchise. Like all these things you wanted to hear, he was willing on day one to say it forcefully and genuinely. I mean, he said it genuinely. I'm not saying that I'm convinced it'll all happen because of how he sounded today, but that's more than Sarver was ever able to do, right? These were all things we thought would be good ideas for Sarver to do. And he never heard, you never heard anything about his thoughts unless it was the one time he had to speak when he fired Ryan McDonough or a couple times when he was parading his big new fancy facilities around. Other than that, we had no idea, right? So there is something to be said for that. The energy, I think, does matter in terms of it just further reinforces the commitment that he seems to be making to getting all of this right. That doesn't mean that I'm going to be tricked because he was cool and nice on day one that that has anything to do with the level of success that he'll have owning this team. I guess at the end of the day, level of success owning the team is relative. They get to keep doing it. No one's firing them, so maybe that's not even the right word to use. Regardless, time will tell how much he lives up to the commitments he made today, but it's good to see him making them. Next up, Isaiah Thomas. Isaiah Thomas was reportedly going to work for this team, then he wasn't. Matt Ishbia denied it again, but he did hedge a little bit. What that says about how he'll operate and the culture that he seemed to be making front and center in his comments today, we'll talk about after one more quick break. Okay, so I talked about the Isaiah Thomas thing yesterday, so I won't belabor it today. Uh, Chris Haynes reported during the Suns' win over Brooklyn that Matt, uh, that Isaiah Thomas was expected to have a, a role in the front office of the team in partnership with James Jones. Very quickly thereafter, Ishbia's people through a spokesperson denied that. The point that I made about it yesterday, which still feels reasonable to me, is that the way in which Ishbia denied that report was via who whose tweets went the most viral, right? Because again... Haynes didn't go back on the broadcast and read a statement from Ishbia. They didn't send it to him. You know, the Suns didn't release it as a press release or a statement via their PR people. No, it was given directly to, and it said a, a representative of Matt Ishbia, right? So that means that a spokesperson for Ishbia emailed or called or texted Dwayne and Kellen directly with this statement, which means they saw it on Twitter, which means the Twitter reaction is probably what got their attention, which means it's not crazy to think that the reaction online, if they saw it and if it caused them to resend that response out, maybe affected, made them second guess whether to bring Isaiah Thomas on in the first place. Regardless of if I'm right on all of that, he was asked about it again today. And what he said was, I want to get this right. He said he had no plans to hire Thomas, but didn't rule out hiring Thomas in some role in the future. This is from Baxter Holmes, who did a good job summarizing it. A spokesman for Ishbia later told ESPN, so this is not the same statement that they sent to Dwayne and Kellen. This is something different, that this is day one. 
and it's important, this is a quote, it's day one and it's important to note that Matt is not going to respond to every tweet and leak speculating about the team. Matt and Isaiah are good friends, but he is not being hired by the Suns in any formal way. Okay, so any formal way is another little bit of a hedge there. I'm not going to read too, too much into it, but he didn't deny it. He, he had an opportunity to forcefully say this is not happening, and he didn't do that, all right? I don't have much more to say about the Isaiah Thomas part specifically, but Baxter Holmes did have some additional details that Ishbia is making culture the forefront of what he wants to do. Now, he had his, his four tenets, tenets of his ownership philosophy that he wants to bring to Phoenix, all right? So those were winning, team member experience, which is basically staff and employee experience. That's what he calls it. Um, what is it? Culture? Well, yes. So those are different things. I think culture was sort of including the players. And then he had one more fan experience. So those are the four. Winning, culture, Employee experience, fan experience, basically. I don't know if he used those exact words, but that's the four things. And culture seems to be the one that he's prioritizing most. That's a very good thing. I mean, especially after everything that, that those employees have been through. I mean, many of those people are still in the building who survived the Robert Sarver era. I mean, we saw how many stories of people who literally quit because they couldn't handle it anymore. So they're probably desperately hoping for something new and better. Baxter Holmes had some quotes. It sounds like somebody recorded the employee introduction with the owner, which, man, Baxter getting at that level of cooperation with a source inside of this team is pretty impressive. But Ishbia reportedly said, the, the team member experience is everything. I want to make this the best place to work. I want to get great people to join. I want to train them and coach them to be the best version of themselves and treat them so well that they don't ever want to leave. It's all about people. People is everything. That's the most important thing. All right, so after Sarver, I think, you know, the cynical read on that is, of course, he has to say that, right? Like, you're going to kind of raise your eyebrows. It'd be silly of him to say, ah, culture schmulcher. That'd be weird, right? He just took over a team from a guy who had one of the worst cultures in the league. Nevertheless, if you read or listen, the reason I maybe am not going to take that cynical take quite so much with this is if you read anything, watch the a real sports thing, which I assume they must have known this guy was going to run a team soon, which is why they did that. I think he had, I think he's given some sort of talks that are on YouTube, whatever it is. Culture seems to be the number one thing for him at United Wholesale Mortgage, I think is what it's called, right? So the idea that it would be the same here, not crazy. I think the fact that he's a former athlete, I think this is one area where that can help because he understands the unique beast that is sports. And he's found a way actually to, whether it's Charlie Bell, Mateen Cleaves, whatever it might be, he's found a way to absorb the sports background that he has into mortgage sales, you know, which is not exactly the sexiest industry. And yet he's found a way to bridge that gap. And so I think he could do the other direction as well, right? I think he'll be able to come in and understand, you know, the commitment and sacrifice that working in sports takes. I mean, that's probably one of the reasons that 
It's not probably. It is one of the reasons that there is such a degree of leeway for people to act like Robert Sarver and Jason Rowley acted in this building. And like numerous, I don't even want to make it about those guys, right? It's this industry is plagued with a bunch of people who treat it as an old boys club and a frat house and, you know, their play toy. I do think that Ishbia, having gone through this, will understand sort of the specific commitment that it takes to work the long hours and, and you know, long seasons that it takes to work in sports and, and probably be able to have some sort of idea about the type of culture, type of things it takes to build a culture in a sports organization specifically, more than, for instance, a banker like Robert Sarver, right? Or, you know, pick any industry that these guys come in from, tech, for instance, where, you know, tech thrives in some instances on that type of gross workplace environment. A lot of the most successful ones are, that's their story. You know, Mark Zuckerberg come in and run a sports team probably wouldn't go so well. And so I do think that there's something to be said there. I I buy that he's focused on culture in a genuine way. And I do think that could be one of the things that he's able to do well here. To circle back to Isaiah Thomas, it's hard to square that, right? I saw somebody online put out like, this is a peak, does he know type of moment. It's kind of hard for me to imagine he doesn't. I mean, the man is like in his early to mid 40s. Isaiah Thomas, that whole controversy was about 15 years ago. You know, Ishbia then would have been older than I am now. And I know about it. That's not, and and I'm not friends with Isaiah Thomas. You know what I mean? Like I was like 10 to 12 years old when all of this was going down. You know, how, how would you not know? I think he knew that, that it, that, that Isaiah Thomas was accused credibly and settled for an exorbitant amount of money over sexual harassment stuff. How could you not? And so it's just difficult to hear. It feels like a little bit of out of two sides, you know, talk. I, I don't even want to say talking out of two sides of your mouth because I guess the Isaiah Thomas stuff was never really substantiated. It didn't come out of his mouth, but it's acting in two different directions, right? It's it's making decisions that that are in contrast with one another. You're pursuing some sort of relationship and role for Isaiah Thomas, which I do believe was real, and at the same time telling people that culture is going to be the most important thing. As much as I agree, yes, people can change. It's very hard to bring in somebody like that and then tell people that that culture is number one. So maybe the Twitter bullying did work. I don't know. But I'm more willing to buy in and believe on that side of things because he did not go through with the Thomas thing than I would have been if he did. And that's all I can say for right now. It is, again, day one, as his quote, his his statement to Baxter Holmes said. It is day one. We will have plenty to talk about on Thursday evening when Aaron Edwards and I record as to whether his commitment on the luxury tax and aggressive trade pursuits actually materialized. I don't have much to say here at 7.30 on Wednesday on that side of things, but that's what you'll be back tomorrow for, right? So hit subscribe, hit follow. Get this show in your feed every single Monday through Friday. Make it your first listen to get caught up on your favorite team. 
each and every day. In the meantime, go make Locked on NBA your second listen today. Also, tune in for our uh, trade deadline live stream on Thursday. Make those two things your next listens. Aaron and I will be back at the end of the night. The Suns also play a game on Thursday, so we'll come to you after all of that, probably going live to catch you up, give you our thoughts on what does and doesn't happen on Thursday in Phoenix and elsewhere. So I will talk to you guys then. When everyone's on the same page, getting things done at work is easy. Make a bigger impact at work with Grammarly. Grammarly is your secure AI writing partner that allows your team to make their point and move faster. You can even save time by going from spending hours editing drafts to just seconds. Join the 96% of Grammarly users that say it helps them craft more impactful writing. Sign up and download Grammarly for free at Grammarly.com slash podcast. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done.